Church family, I invite you to open up in God's Word to Ephesians. Ephesians. You heard me right. Ephesians. Not Genesis. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is our text for today. The title of our message is The Walk of Grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You follow along as I read from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's just one verse, so I'll read it again. For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, help us to come to your word with humble hearts, with teachable spirits, and with a desire to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme verse for Vacation Bible School this year is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so uh, I wanted to kick off our VBS week by um, just leading all of us um, into this verse and looking at this verse in its context um, here in the book of Ephesians. So kids, you're going to be saying that verse a lot this week. By the time we get to the end of the week, uh, you'll have it memorized. Some of you will have it memorized by the end of the night just because you're real smart and and, and you pick up on stuff really quickly. Uh, But but. Church family, I want us to take a, take a few minutes this morning and dive into this verse. Um, church, there is one gospel. There is one gospel. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul writes this. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, there is one gospel of grace, but there are many ways to distort and many ways to misunderstand the one gospel of grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul, writing the very words of God here, provides us with just an incredibly clear explanation of the good news of Jesus, of this gospel, of this human problem, which is sin, and God's solution, which is Jesus. And as he explains the one true gospel, we can see how many, uh, how, how many of the distortions and misunderstandings of the gospel are refuted, even just in this one passage. For instance, some people, some people believe that humans are mostly good. I believe that humans are mostly good, which leads then to the belief that all we really need is just some behavior modification. We just need to be a little bit better. And maybe, maybe we need a little, a little help from above in that behavior modification. Well, Paul refutes that belief in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you'll glance your eyes back to the first three verses of this passage, he describes us as dead in sin, followers of this world, followers of Satan, sons of disobedience, and by nature, objects of God's wrath. So we're not mostly good people. Okay, that's a refutation of that false belief. We are not mostly good people. 
We're totally depraved, sinful people, which means we don't just need some behavior modification. We need to be made completely new. I mean, we need a total transformation and restoration. Another misunderstanding or distortion of the gospel is that we must earn God's forgiveness by doing good works. But Paul refutes that belief in verses 4 through 9. If you'll glance your eyes through verses 4 through 9, there he describes God doing the work of salvation and then specifically states that we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved by God giving us a gift of his grace, a gift of his faith, giving us a gift of salvation which we don't deserve. And so that's a refutation of the false belief that we must somehow earn God's forgiveness. But then there's another misunderstanding, another distortion of the gospel that can arise, especially whenever we get excited about emphasizing God's salvation being completely a free gift of His grace. The temptation then, when we say we don't have to do good works in order to earn salvation, it's all free, the temptation then is to say, well, then good works must not matter. Good works must not matter. If God saves us by grace and not by our good works, then good works don't really matter, right? Wrong. That's another false belief. And Paul refutes this misunderstanding in verse 10, which is our text for today. What would Paul say? Better yet, what would God say? This is his word. What would God say to this question? If good works are not necessary for us to be saved, then does it really matter how I live? If God gives me a free gift of salvation, then does he really care how I live? And I think the biblical answer, I think what we see in verse 10 is this. Salvation by grace in no way pushes us away from good works. Instead, salvation by grace, God's gift of salvation, leads us into a life of good works. Church, salvation God's gift of salvation to us, it leads us not away from good works, but into good works. That's really the main point of this verse here and how it fits into the context of this passage. Church, the walk of a grace-filled life, the walk of a grace-filled life is a life that is filled with good works. It's impossible to be filled with God's grace that saves and not have a life that then is filled with good works. That's what Paul's teaching here in this last part of this section of Ephesians where he is explaining God's free gift of salvation. In other words, good works matter. Good works matter, and they matter a lot. No, listen, they're not the way to gain salvation, but they always are a direct result of God giving us a free gift of salvation. The message today is simple. If you have been saved by grace, which is the only way to be saved, then you will live a life where you are producing good works. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. We, we still falter in many ways. We fall and fail the Lord. But your life will be filled with good works if you have been saved by God's grace. Salvation being a free gift and us doing nothing to earn it, that's not a message that good works don't matter. It's just a message that good works don't save. This is, this is one of the most important distinctions for us to get when it comes, us to understand and us to believe when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. How can I be saved? And then what does it look like to be a Christian? 
And as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, not only does God care about good works, church, not only does he, he, he care about them, he cares about them so much that he sacrificed his only son so that we could do good works that bring him glory and so that we then would do good works to bring him glory. And God doesn't save us because of our good works, but he absolutely saves us for good works. Works. I want to look at us to look at this verse in two parts today, okay? Two truths, which I think, I pray, will help us understand how God's gift of salvation leads us into, not away from, but into a life full of good works. The first truth answers the question, who am I? Now that I've been saved, who am I? And then the second question, the second truth is going to answer the question, what do I do? Based on who I am, now what do I do now that I've been saved? Truth number one, church, is this. God's saving grace gives us a new identity. God's saving grace gives us a new identity. The first step in understanding the truth that God's gift of salvation leads us into a life of good works is understanding that God's gift of salvation completely transforms us and makes us new. We can't rush ahead to how we are supposed to live before we really grasp and, 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 and celebrate who we now are in Christ. Paul writes in verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus Church, God's saving grace gives us a new identity. We are not born into this world with the identity of being God's workmanship. We're not born into this world with the identity of being created in Christ Jesus. Now that may sound a little odd for me to say that. It's, it, sounds, it sounds a little odd to me for me to say that. You might say, but I, I, Zach, I thought that the Bible teaches that God is the creator and we're made in his image. Wouldn't that make us his workmanship? And that Jesus was and is so much a part of creating us that Paul wrote to the Colossians that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus and in Him all things hold together. And if you say that, you're exactly right. The Bible does teach that. That God created us. He made us in His image. And Christ Jesus is the Creator. God spoke the world into existence. And He is the Word. And so those are true truths. How then can I say that this identity of us being God's workmanship and being created in Christ Jesus is not, is not how we come into this world? I want you to, once again, let your eyes glance back up to the first few verses of this chapter. It's very important. Look back at verses 1 through 3. How can we say that this identity of being God's workmanship and being created in Christ Jesus is a new identity? Not one that we were born with when we came into this world. Verses 1 through 3, Paul describes our identity as being so wrapped up in sin that we come into this world as dead followers of Satan. And by nature, that means from the moment that we're conceived, objects of his wrath. Now, yes, we're still made in the image of God. That means from the moment of conception, every life has value in the eyes of God. But there's an identity crisis. Something has happened. What has happened that on the one hand, we're created in the image of God, and on the other hand, we come into this world, dead followers of Satan by nature, objects of God's wrath. 
What is going on? What is going on, church, is Genesis chapter 3 and the rest of human history from Genesis 3 until now. What's going on is sin, rebellion against the God who is our creator. In Genesis 3, the first man sinned against God and God cursed him and the identity of humanity was broken. Still made in the image of God. But that image now has been marred by sin. And just in case you think that only really bad people are dead in sin and objects of God's wrath, I mean, certainly God's not talking about us, right? Well, Paul wrote to the Romans this, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does that mean? It means that Adam's sin was passed down to every single other human being. And what gets passed along with sin is the curse of sin. The point is this. Yes, we're created in the image of God, but listen, every single one of us comes into this world also under the curse of God because we are by nature sinners. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. This is our identity. Listen, this is your identity. This is my identity unless God does something and intervenes and and transforms and gives us a new identity. And church, the good news, listen, listen, the good news today, the good news every day is that God does this. He does a work of giving us a new identity, of transforming us. Everyone who believes in Jesus, God does this work of transforming their identity. Verses 4 through 9, Paul describes God's character and God's work in saving us from our sin. Because of his love, his mercy, his grace, God sent his only son, Jesus, to give us new life. Listen, we were dead in our sins, but through Jesus, we are made alive. We were objects of God's wrath, but through Jesus, God raises us up and seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. Listen, we we were doomed for eternal destruction, but through Jesus, we are destined to enjoy the riches of God's kindness forever and ever and ever. This all comes not as a result of our works, but as a result of God's gift of grace to us. We don't earn it, but it is a free gift, and it is an incredible gift. This transformation of who we are, this new identity. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. We then are his workmanship. In light of what he's just said about who we are apart from Christ and who we are in Christ, then he says, we are his workmanship. He's speaking to people who have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation. He's talking to people who have repented of their sin, admitted that they are sinners, and then run to Jesus for salvation, salvation, confessing that he is the only way that we can have this new identity. He's the only way that our relationship with God can be restored. He's the only way that we can have life and have it everlasting. That's the we here. We, those who've trusted in Christ, are His workmanship. But notice that we're His workmanship. In other words, the saved you, the new identity you, the Christ in you, you, is completely a work of God. He did the work of choosing us before the foundation of the world. 
He did the work of sending His Son. He did the work of putting His Son to death. He did the work of providing the redemption price. He did the work of nailing our sins to the cross. He did the work of convicting us of sin and opening our eyes to see our need for Jesus and then giving us the gift of faith. He did the work of transforming us by the power of His Holy Spirit and then resurrecting our dead hearts to new and everlasting life. Listen, you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are His workmanship. Which means, church, we can't take the credit. We can't take the credit. Our new identity, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not something we've done. We can't take the credit for our new identity, nor, nor do we have the authority to do whatever we want to do with our new identity. We are His workmanship. What does that mean? It means that we can't take the credit and we also ask Him, what do we do, God? What do you want us to do now that we are your workmanship? It means we belong to Him. He tells us what to do with our new identity. He has the right and the authority to tell us how to live. But I want you to also notice the second phrase describing our new identity. Not only are we His workmanship, but this beautiful phrase. Oh, I love this. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus. Friends, we were all created once in our mother's womb, right? That was our, our first creation. God created us and knitted us together in our mother's womb. But only those who have experienced a second creation, a second birth, are saved from sin and belong to God. I love, I love how Jesus explains this to Nicodemus. I love the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And we don't have the time today to go through all that whole passage, but John chapter 3, I would encourage you to read it this week. In John chapter 3, we see this interaction. And there Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, think new creation, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one not is born the first time in your mother's womb, but created there, but born a second time, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you'll be rejected from ever. Here's what Jesus meant. We are born physically as enemies of God because of our sin. And so then the only way for us to become friends of God, go from being his enemies to being his friends, is if we are completely changed and given a new identity. We must be born again. We must be transformed by the power of God into a forgiven child of His. We must have a spiritual rebirth. Then if you go on later in that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus explains how this would be possible. And He said it would be a spiritual transformation that took place that came as a result of Jesus' death on the cross and then our faith in Him. He would be the Savior and then we would look to Him as the Savior, trusting in Him, and that's how we would be saved. For God so loved the world, Jesus told Nicodemus, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, the way Paul describes this spiritual transformation, this being born again, Jesus used the language of born again. Paul uses the language here in Ephesians 2 verse 10 of being created in Christ Jesus. And what this means is that our new identity, church, is tied directly to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is our life. He is our salvation. What is our new identity? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were printed a new ID card, it'd have Jesus' picture on it because that's who we are because of of the great work of God in our lives. We, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
So here's what that means. If our identity is God's workmanship, if our identity is created in Christ Jesus, then it's guaranteed that our new identity will show itself in a new way of living in which our works reveal. One, that God owns us because we are his workmanship. And two, that we are united to Christ. Listen, if Jesus' face is on our ID card, then our lives are going to look like Jesus' face is on our ID card. It's going to be him living through us. Our identity matters. We will walk a new walk, and that new walk will be aligned with God's purpose in making us new. And so we see that God's saving grace gives us a new identity. It's the foundation for a life of good works. But then truth number two, church, is this. God's saving grace gives us a new purpose. God's saving grace gives us a new purpose. What is that new purpose? It is to live a life of good works. You're going to hear me say good works until you're tired of hearing me say good works. All right? But it's important. We are saved for the purpose of doing good works. Verse 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's the identity, now the purpose. For good works, which God prepared beforehand. What? That we should ignore them? No. So that they would be optional? No. That we should walk in them. That's what verse 10 says. We've been saved, we've been given a new identity for what purpose? To live however we want, to keep living in sin, to sit around and not really do bad things, but not really do much good things, just kind of sit around and wait on Jesus to come back? Absolutely not. We have been saved, we've been given a new identity for the purpose of good works. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, God saved you. If you have trusted in Christ, He saved you for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose. That purpose is not merely just to get you into heaven when you die. Yes, that is part of it. But it's not merely just to get you into heaven when you die. It's so that until you get to heaven, your life would just be overflowing with good works for the glory of God. Now, in one sense, it's not a new purpose. It's not a new purpose. God created humans to do good for His glory. But just like our identity was marred by sin, our purpose is marred by sin. Instead of doing good for the glory of God, our sin nature produces works of selfishness and works of self-righteousness. Because of sin, our works, you could kind of put them in two categories. Because of sin, apart from Jesus, our works are either bad, they're either bad things, or they're good things that we do for our own glory, which guess what? Dumps them in the bad category. Apart from Christ, we either do bad things or we do good things, but we do them for our own glory. But when God saves us, He gives us not only a new identity, He also restores us to fulfill our original purpose, which means producing good works for His glory. God's purpose in saving us to was to mold us into the people that He intended originally in creation for us to be all along. People who live for His glory by reflecting His glory in the world that He created for His glory. Jesus said this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, God has redeemed us so that we reflect His glory to the world through the good works that we do. 
Remember, we are His workmanship, which means we exist to draw attention to the glory of the workman. We are His masterpiece, which means we now exist to draw attention to the glory of the Master. The sculpture points to the sculptor. The painting points to the painter. The building points to the builder. The architecture points to the architect. And church, the life of, that has been rescued from the depths of sin points to none other than the rescuer. The life redeemed from the bonds of iniquity points to the Redeemer. The life saved from God's wrath points not to you and not to me, but our lives point to the Savior. That is our new purpose, to live in such a way that others can see the glory and the saving power of God in your life and in my life. You say, well, what does that look like to do good works that reflect His glory? Listen, reflecting God's glory simply means that we reflect who He is. It is God's character and the things that He does that makes Him glorious. His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His love, His mercy, His grace, His hatred of sin, and His amazing forgiveness towards sinners. And so we reflect all of those things in the way that we live. It means, that, uh, it means that we think and speak and act as His representatives, as His image bearers in this world, where our thoughts and our words and our actions portray an accurate picture of who God is. Listen, God doesn't need us to be glorious. He's already glorious. All, all we're called to do is reflect the glory by imitating who He is. Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice even there how He connects new identity with new purpose. Be imitators of God, there's the new purpose, as beloved children. There's the new identity. We're now His children, so we are to imitate Him, our Father. As the workmanship of God, do good works, church, which showcase, I mean, put on display, not ourselves, but the amazing work of God in saving us and making us holy. What does it look like to live a life of good works? Well, it doesn't just mean to reflect the glory of God. That's one way to think about it as we think about us being God's workmanship. But let's go back to that in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus. To, to live a life of good works, church, means to look like Jesus, the one in whom we have been created. If our life is bound up in Christ, then our living is to be nothing short of a reflection of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word Christian means? It means little Christ. It means little Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ is little. It means that we are little Christs, little, little Jesuses. So where did that come from? Well, it comes from the Bible, all right, for, for starters. It actually comes from the city of Antioch. That's where the word was first used. That's where followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, as they were known, were first called Christians, called little Christ. Now, why do you think that the people there started calling the disciples of Jesus little Christs? It wasn't because they went around saying, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'm trying to be like Jesus. They were claiming Jesus. No, I mean, they were claiming Christ. It's because they looked like Jesus. That's why they started, the, the city started calling them little Christ. Because they looked like a bunch of little Jesuses running around. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Do you know what the believers in Antioch were known for? Do you know what that church is known for? 
If we study that church in God's word, it's known for loving the gospel, for loving people of every ethnicity. It's known for loving to sacrifice for the good of others. And it's known for loving God's mission of getting the gospel of Jesus to the world. The church at Antioch was multi-ethnic. Why? Because Jesus came to break down the barriers that we erect based on things like skin color or ethnicity or language. The church at Antioch, they heard about fellow believers who were suffering in another city. And you know what they did? They gave of their own resources, the text says in the book of Acts, to send them relief. Why would they do something like that? Well, because Jesus gave of himself to relieve them of their burden of sin. The church in Antioch, they commissioned missionaries. That's the church that sent Paul out on his first missionary journey and continued to send him out. Why would they do something like that? To, to take the time and the energy and the resources to send someone that they could have kept from themselves to other peoples that they had never met. Because Jesus came for those people that they had never met. They were little Christs. That's what they were doing. They were living that out in their lives. And the, and the, the town took so much notice of this, they started calling them little Jesuses. This church is just full of little Jesuses. I wonder if the same can be said of us, church, where our new identity has then resulted in a new purpose for our lives, where we look so much like the one in whom we have been created that people can't deny. They might not be able to understand it. They might not know why we would do it, but they can't deny we look a whole awful lot like Jesus Christ. Are we producing good works for the glory of God and imitation of Jesus in such a way that our community would say, hey, look at those people they look like Jesus. They guard their tongues from gossip and only say things that build others up. They guard their minds and their eyes from sexual immorality. They guard their hearts from, from loving money and possessions. They work hard and they give generously to those in need. Look at them. They're united to one another. Look at them. They love their enemies and do good to those who persecute them. They speak with kindness when they are cursed. They put others before themselves. They don't put any limitations on the amount that they're willing to forgive others who wrong them. The husbands love their wives with a sacrificial, purifying kind of love. The wives submit to their husbands out of an attitude of respect. Their children obey Jesus. The parents, they're patient with their children. and They teach them to know and love Jesus. And the fathers are leading the way in that. Look at them. They're good employees, even when they're treated unfairly. Look at them. They're fair employers over the people that they oversee. Look at them. They welcome people who look different than them and talk different than them and live in different places with them. They welcome them into their fellowship, not as less than them, but as equals in Christ. Look at them. They tell us about the message of salvation and they sacrifice to get that message to the uttermost parts of the world, even when it's costly and even when it's painful. Church, I didn't make up that list. You know where I got that list from? Almost every one of those good works there is in the book of Ephesians. You go home, you read through the rest of Ephesians, that's what Paul lays out. And the couple that maybe I put in there that aren't directly in the book of Ephesians, they're in the Bible. I didn't make up that list. That's God's instructions to you. That's what a life of good works looks like. That's what it looks like to be little Christs. If anyone is in Christ, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that new you, that new me, looks like Jesus. I want you to note here also, one other thing as we look at our new purpose, I want you to note how intentional God is in creating us in Christ for good works. 
us living a life of good works was not an afterthought. It wasn't that God in eternity past said, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to rescue people from their sin so that they can live with me in heaven. It was that in eternity past, he looked, uh, looked ahead into the future and said, these people are going to rebel against me, but I'm going to send my son not only so that they can live with me forever in heaven, but until that day comes so that they will live a life full of good works. Look at what it says, that we are created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His purpose for us is not an afterthought. It is his forethought. Paul opened the letter to the Ephesians by stating very clearly God's sovereignty over our salvation. That's over us being saved, our new identity. He said in chapter 1, verse 4, that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 5 of chapter 1, He said that He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So God's sovereign over our new identity. But His sovereignty goes beyond our new identity. It also goes to our new purpose. Chapter 2, verse 10 says that the good works we do as Christians were pre-planned by Him. He already had them set out for us before the world began. Isn't that incredible? It's kind of like walking into a kitchen and having all the ingredients set out for you, all measured out to the right amounts. That's what I, I don't really like to watch cooking shows that much, mainly because it just frustrates me. They make it look so easy. You know why it looks so easy? Because the, as soon as the show starts, everything is all in these nice little cups all over the counter that's like spotless clean and 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 all they got to do is go boop 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 mix it stick it in the oven and then commercial and come back and it's done and they're like they're like this is a 15 minute meal no it's not it's 15 minutes and somebody else already does all the hard work of getting all that stuff buying it figuring out how much you need cutting it all up mixing all the different spices and putting them all and then laying them out all nice and neat for you <laughs> Listen, when, we, when it comes to a life of good works, it's kind of like God's already walked into the kitchen of our lives. He's already laid out all the good works that He wants us to do. And then He gives us the ability to go in and prepare the dish that He's laid out the ingredients for us to make, which is a life lived for His glory. He gives us the new identity so that we can do it. He lays it out so we don't have any excuse not to do it. It's all right there. It's all right there. We can't say, well, good works are too hard and don't fit my personality, and I'm just, I'm just not good at doing good works. Well, that's hogwash. Because that's a denial of God's sovereignty over your new identity. He has created you in Christ Jesus. Don't say that you can't do the good works that He has for you. He has made you new. He didn't mess up when He made you His workmanship. But we also can't say, well, I would do good works, but there's just not much for me to do, you know? I mean, I don't see many opportunities around me for good works. There might be plenty of opportunities for other people who are just better at good works or who are more gifted than I am. But, you know, for me, there's just not a whole lot for me to do. Friends, that's hogwash too because that's walking into the kitchen and going, well, I don't have any ingredients and God's laid them all out there for us. That's a denial of God's sovereignty over our purpose. Sovereign over our identity, we can't say, I can't do good works, I just don't have it in me. That's the denial of his sovereignty over our new identity. But also a denial over his sovereignty, denial of his sovereignty over our new purpose is when we say, there's just, I mean, I, I could, I could do them, there's just not a lot for me to do. God's, God already planned that out before you're ever born. Not only your salvation, but he, he planned out the good works. He's given you the ability to do good works and the good works. He's got it. He's in control. 
No excuse, church. No excuse. Listen. God's grace in saving us, it is empowering, right? It, it says, you are, you are a new creation. And there are good works that you can do. It's empowering, but it's also humbling. Why? Because God did it all. And he's doing it all. And he will continue to do it all. And so he gets all the glory. Church, we can do good works for the glory of God, but we can only do them because God has given us a new identity and a new purpose over which he sovereignly reigns. So let me ask this question. How is your walk? How is your walk? How's this verse end? That we should walk in them. That we walk in these good works that God prepared beforehand. How is your walk? Chapter 2 opened with people walking. Chapter, chapter 2 verse 2 uses the word walking. What were we walking in? The ways of this world, the ways of Satan, dead in our sin. This section closes in verse 10 with those same people walking. But they're no longer walking as followers of Satan in sin. They're walking in good works. What changed in between was the transforming grace of God. He gets the glory. So how is your walk? Maybe your walk is not honoring God because you're still living back in verses 1 through 3. You're still dead in your transgressions and sins. You're still following the course of this world. You're still an object of God's wrath because that's how you came in the world and there's never been a changed identity in your life because of the work of God in your life. Which means you've never believed in Jesus because that's the way to be saved. And so if that's you, don't try to do good works to change your identity. You've missed the point. Don't do good works to change your identity. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He's the one who can change your identity. Then you'll be ready to live out God's new purpose for your life. Then you'll be ready to have a life that's filled with good works. But first, you must believe in Jesus. And if you have received God's free gift of salvation, if you have new identity in Christ, then we ask one more time, does your life look like Jesus? That means when people are watching, when people are not watching. When it's easy to look like Jesus, when it's not easy to look like Jesus. When you're around other Jesus people, and when you're not around Jesus people. Does your life look like Jesus? God's gift of salvation leads us into a life of good works. Listen, if you graft a branch into a vine, that branch doesn't get to decide whether or not it produces fruit. If the vine is supplying the nutrients, the branch will produce fruit. Church, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and you better believe that he is pumping us with the nutrients of new life in him. Which means good works are not optional. We've been grafted into Christ. He's supplying the nutrients. He's filled you with his life, Christian. It's time to produce fruit. He has filled you with his grace. It's time to walk the grace walk, which means walking in good works. He's filled you with himself, which church means it's time to look like Jesus. If you need help knowing what that looks like for you, maybe 
what that looks like to trust in Jesus, or maybe now that you've trusted in Jesus, how to walk that walk in certain areas of, of your life. I'd, I'd love to chat with you about that. After the service, come talk to me, and we'll talk about that. Find a trusted Christian friend who can help you with that. The church, will we be obedient to God's word? Will we look like Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a new identity. It's all because of your grace. Thank you for giving us a new purpose. Father, help us to live out that purpose, a life full of good works, not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for the one who has worked salvation in us. Father, to make a name for you, to make a name for Jesus. Father, thank you for your grace. Help us to walk in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.